They say that in the case of mysterious deaths, the first 48 hours are critical. If investigators don't make a breakthrough in that time, the chances of resolving the case are greatly diminished. But what if you don't make a breakthrough in the first 48 hours or the first 48 days? What if you don't make a breakthrough in 48 years? Welcome to the mysterious case of Fred the Head and one of the UK's most baffling unsolved crimes. Episode 11 Connections I was starting to get worried. Zoe Kun, who we'd managed to track down to Australia, had stopped answering my calls, which was unusual. Once I'd initially made contact with her, she'd always seemed very pleased to talk indeed. In fact, our conversations had ended up running to well over an hour each time. But for the whole of the duration of the last episode, in which we were dealing with Mr. Jenner, she just wasn't picking up. And that was a problem. Because most of what I'd been concerned about in the last episode directly connected with her and her parents. Most specifically, Valtroud and Alina, her mother. I wanted to establish with her exactly what had happened in the months preceding and immediately before the emigration to Australia. But I couldn't. She was ignoring my calls. The other problem was my belief that the Kun family still represent the best chance of identification of the victim. That hadn't gone away. There was still a strong possibility that somewhere within Frank Kun's circle of friends and acquaintances, the name of the victim would have appeared. All we needed was to somehow tease out the right connection and we'd be there. But without access to Zoe, all that was impossible. I tried daily, sometimes multiple times, always the same. The phone rang and rang and rang, never being picked up. To be honest, as I know Zoe was a woman on her own, I was starting to get a little bit concerned for her welfare. I contacted David Crabtree, her son, who was the original method I used for contacting her. I asked him if I had upset her in some way. Maybe she didn't like the way our conversations had been represented in the podcast. David said, look, she can be a bit like that. She can be quite a paranoid sort of woman. And she doesn't answer her phone very often anyway, at the best of times. I wasn't getting any more confident that I'd be able to re-establish contact anytime soon, which, from an investigative perspective, was not good news. I remembered, though, that she'd shared with me her email so I could send her a link to the podcast across. But she told me that she didn't always check it very often. But I had nothing to lose. I sent her one. Hi, Zoe. Hope you're keeping well. I need to speak to you but you're not picking up. Is everything okay? Please let me know if you're around for a quick chat. That was three weeks ago. Then last week, I got a reply. Dear Ken, it seems that when the internet went down last time, it reset the telephone connection somehow, and all it had was a busy signal instead of a dial tone. 
I rebooted the modem and the telephone works again. I'm not avoiding you or anyone else. I'm just horribly busy. I am supposed to move out of my rented house this week and there are not enough hours in the day to achieve it. Actually, the main problem is I'm a little old lady, not strong enough to move some of my furniture from house to the shipping container on my own. David helps me on Fridays, but he's a busy chap too. So there's just not enough hours to get the job done. Anyway, I'm trying to poke into my subconscious, into recalling what it has in there. I still have the feeling I know something. Or perhaps I just think I should. Anyway, if you do want to talk to me, you should now be able to ring me successfully. I suspect I owe David Crabtree a beer for nagging his mum to get back in contact with me because making contact again with Zoe was about to give the investigation another step forward. But more of that later. But with a big sigh of relief, I called Zoe again. I wanted to capture her reaction to what we had discovered about Mr. Jenner in the last episode, just to see if anything jogged a memory from a time in Windshill. So I'll play you that call. I apologise if I'm going over stuff you already know, but I think it's quite interesting to hear Zoe's reaction to it. And the other thing is, I wanted to learn as much about Frank and Valtraud Kun as I possibly could, because I've got a feeling Frank and Valtraud and the people they knew will end up being very, very important. Hello. Hello, Zoe. Yes. Hi, Zoe. Ken Davis in England. Oh, hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Oh, flat out. However, I haven't actually broken myself, which is a good thing when the little old lady's moving all of the furniture from well, I'm pleased to hear it. I was worried. I thought I'd, I'd uh, offended you in some way because I was struggling to reach you, but no, then no, no, you explained no, not that. Not at all. Um, went down and it, and it did something to the telephone, and um, I didn't realise that because until I actually wanted to make a call, picked it up, and instead of getting a dial tone, I got a busy signal. Well, it's. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad I managed to track you down again. There's a, there's a couple of things yeah. I wanted to just run past you. It, yeah. I'd gone down a r real rabbit hole since we last spoke. It was an interesting rabbit hole, but but ultimately it doesn't really lead anywhere. But but I just had to keep following it and keep and, and it kept leading me on. So let me explain. Did you, when you were in in Windshill, ever hear the name Josef Jenner? Hungarian person. Perhaps. You remember I, I, I mentioned the Yogi person that yeah. somebody came looking for one night. But Jenna, I don't know. Um, when you said that, a dark-haired fellow came came into my into my mind momentarily. But whether that's because it's you know it invokes some sort of connotation with an actor or somebody, I don't know. Well, Josef Jenner, C Z E N N E R. That's this is this is a, a real life person who's in the Derby Burton area in right. in the late sixties. Now, and I'll tell you the full story. Are you, are you sitting comfortably? I am. Good, because uh, this will take five minutes. So, Josef Jenner uh, marries a lady called Anita Blackham in nineteen sixty six. Josef Jenner is a knife thrower. 
that's his job. He's a professional knife thrower, okay? Okay. But also a hairdresser. He right. He marries Anita Blackham. She becomes Anita Jenner. That marriage lasts one week. They are divorced in, uh, in 1969. It takes three years to get divorced, but she kicks him out after a week. So the reason I came across him, based on you, G, I'm just looking for any Yosef of Hungarian origin around the Derby area at the time. Logical. Yeah, I have to tell you, this is about to get weird. Don't worry, there is a natural, sensible explanation at the end. Okay. So, I follow that man to what happens after that, because I want to find out what happens to this particular Yoshi. But he kind of disappears for a bit. Then, someone called Josef Jena reappears. Now, I need to say, Josef Jena is an extraordinarily uncommon name in the UK. In 1960, I mean, there are, I can see three examples in the whole decade. They all may be the same person, or may not be, Mm -hmm. but we're only dealing with one or two people with that name in the UK. Josef Jenner then reappears marrying someone else on the south coast in early 1970. Right, and this is where it gets really odd, and you'll 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 think I'm mad, but that person marries someone called. Valtraud and Alina. Good grief. It's insane. That's re- yeah, that, that, that's really weird because my, my mother was named after her, her middle name was after her, t- her two um, grandmothers. One was Anna, the other one was Lena. Yeah, so what are the chances of someone I know, well, one Hungarian, secondly, in, yeah. in Derby Burton, because I know, and when I say Derby Burton, I mean near Windshill because... His first wife lived in Stapenhill, which is only a mile away. Yeah. Then turning up on the south coast, marrying someone called Valtraud and Alina. That's so weird. So I thought for a week, I'll be honest with you, I thought Frank had gone to uh, had gone to Australia, yeah. leaving your mum there, and for some reason, these two people are connected again. It, it's a logical thought, except for the fact that it's the, wrong. my mother was in Australia. Yeah, it's not- it's a logical thought, except it's wrong. Correct. Yeah. But for a week, I didn't know it was wrong, and that's why I was so keen to speak to you. I wanted to. I just really wanted to ask. You know. Yeah, well, I'm really sorry that I, I went on this method on you. I've been trying to see if my mother will talk to you, but so far she moved into a nursing home and she doesn't seem to have internet access. Um, my daughter keeps forgetting when she keeps forgetting to ask her if she'll talk to you. Oh, she, I'm, I'm sure she would be. But please, maybe not tell her that, because for a week I thought she was a, uh, a serial woman. Well, yeah. Well, that's uh, because I'm sure she would. Well, I'm satisfied she wouldn't be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would be talking to you. Well, that's good. Because I don't think she would a couple of things from the Castelfly There was, you know, when, when you cross across the, the equator, yeah. you get a certificate. Um, and I've got my one of those. I don't know whether I've got my dad's anything. I've got some of my dad's stuff in the way. Well, all definitely came out here at the rear of us on, on the same boat. And she was there. I think at that stage she was working in David Jones's Delicatessen. The stage where the other Valtra, Annalena. So did you ever find out what her, her name was? 
No, because weirdly on her, I've got the marriage certificate, and 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 I'll talk you through that. And it gets even weirder, by the way, coincidence-wise. Okay. She changed her her name to Jenna by deed poll. So she changed the name to a new married name. So when she when normally people put on their marriage certificate their maiden name, she put her married name, which made me very suspicious indeed. Because yes, I'm. Well, it's just odd because I understand why people anglicise their names and people did in the UK in those days. But to change your name from a Hungarian name, just simply another Hungarian name by deed poll, just sounded to me like that she was trying to hide who she really was. So, and, and, and she probably was, I still think that, but I don't think it's your mum, obviously. But, but uh, there, is a, there is a story. And I've, and I've traced, by the way, that the children of of that Yosef Jenner and and I've got a picture of him and it's not the Yosef Jenner that was in Derby because I found Anita Anita Jenner and showed her we it's been an amazing so there were either two of them or or the second one perhaps had assumed the identity of the first one (laughs) that's that's a possibility but there were definitely two people but that that Yosef Jenner was not a nice man he was a very violent man. Uh, now, the other thing, just to finally finish that, and I'm totally convinced, satisfied, that this is nothing to do with your family. It was just an interesting diversion. Guess what the profession was of Yosef Jenner? The guy in Hove was also a hairdresser. Well, I, I, think, I, I think I was ahead of there on, on the thought that if, if the second one had assumed the identity of the first one, perhaps, then Maybe. he would assume the same profession as well. Maybe. I kind of think these are two people, but you're right. There could be something weird going on in terms of identity theft. Just to find the Jenna, the hairdresser, marrying a Valtraud and Alina. Yeah, that's just that's a hell of a big rabbit hole to end up having to go down. You all travelled together on the Castel, Castel Felice in... September, because it was a five-week journey, I understand. So he set off in September and ended up there in Australia in October. That's right, yeah. Um, 9th of September to, what was it, 10th of October, 15th of October? Something like that. I can never remember the October date. Well, you're about to, because I'm going to send you by email your uh, your passes as you entered Australia. Oh, thank you. That'd be interesting. I'll, I'll, um, I'll print those up and Really quick question. Did anyone ever travel back to England after that? Yes. My mother did, and then my father and mother did a few years later. Uh-huh. Um, so her mum must have gone on her own something like 1980. And I think once again, a few years afterwards as well, like 87, 88, something like that. To Germany, though, or did she come back to England when oh, she came on her own? I believe she went back to England on each occasion. decision to move to Australia I mean how did that come about was that something you guys had been like thinking about your mum and dad had been thinking about for a while and they considered Canada New Zealand Australia and South Africa as possible places to emigrate what kind of made them want to they wanted their own home they could 
in that house in, on Newton Road for as long as the mill lasted and it was a tied house, same as the other former occupants had lived there. And during our occupation there, Mr Halstead next door had died and Mrs Halstead was allowed to live in the house until she died. Um, so it was a permanent residence as such. Um, but they, they weren't able to accumulate any capital, essentially. Yeah. And when they looked at the economic process of moving to Australia, they were the best out of, out of the, the bunch. And in hindsight, they were still the best out of the bunch. Yeah. Because my dad is no idiot. Anybody that could basically start start in Hungary, look at the wrong side of the Iron Curtain and end up in China and then back in Europe again, is, is not stupid. Within six months of being here, they bought the first block of land, South Coast, and then they bought the other one. And when the shop came up for sale, well, you know, they bought that too. Wow. So they accumulated the capital that they wanted. Yeah. And my mother had some lovely holidays spending the money that they saved up over all those years. Oh, good for her. She went to China and all sorts of places. Wow. I mean, China's come up a couple of times, Adam. Was it, was it a country that particularly enjoyed or...? Um, I, I think because it, it's, well, uh, Dad went there originally because that was as far as he could go before he went across to the Americas, which was his next plan. Yeah. I remember you telling me that there was lots and lots of kind of conversations in the back room, lots of different languages, because he was this kind of, almost kind of community leader. I, I wouldn't go that far, no. Um, I mean, my father appeared to be a social animal, but a lot of the time... He, he actually has a very low tolerance of fools. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, a lot of the people that were in that Far Eastern sort of community, I, was, I wouldn't even call it a community, but, but yeah, the, the people who were, who were um, living little, little pockets here and there where, you know, there might be a, a, a set of, of, of um, rooms mm. where everybody was uh, Hungarian or Czechoslovakian or yeah. whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but a lot of people that had ended up um, in Burton, I don't think were the brightest people in the world. They okay. weren't people who were at the top of the game of anything. Okay. Okay. Um, and so my dad was very good with communicating with what he called the great unwashed because he was a snob on, on one level. No, he was a snob on, on most levels. <laughs> and and he used to, he used to say no. Like I'd say to him, you know, why why do you do you um you know go and help these people or whatever? Um, and he'd say things like, well, you know, they've got the next allotment to mine because they had allotments. And and firstly, I just wanted to make contact again because your your thoughts and your memories have been really really fascinating and valuable, really. Well, I don't know whether that'll help, help you with your, with your question. I identify the, the body. Um, they may or may not. I do feel that there's probably something, like I said, there's something lurking in my subconscious. Um, and every now and again, a little bit teases out. But I don't know whether it's a reconstruction or a real memory. Well, that's, that, 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 that's, uh, that's natural. The more I dig into this, the more convinced I am that the body... And by the way, the body is neither of the genres we spoke about. I know that for sure. Right. But uh, I'm, I am convinced the body is is probably somebody who was of Central or Eastern European heritage. I mean, school, and, and school so says there's that. There's a reasonable likelihood that this is somebody that I've even met. Yeah, or was in the circle of 
people that your dad would have been aware of, no more than that. Well, but certainly, if, if you're talking about somebody who's Eastern European. Um, have you had a facial reconstruction done? Yes. Do you want me to send you a picture? Yeah, please. Because um, you never know. I might look at it and say, oh, I, I remember that, that face. That was in one of these photo albums. Well, wow, yeah. I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to send you a few things. I'm going to send you an email now with your bo yep. your boarding passes into Australia, so you've got that. Uh, I'm going to send you a picture of the Yosef Jenner who was in the guy who was on the south coast. So he's not the Yosef Jenner right. in Derby, he's the other one. But, hey... Well, you... it wouldn't hurt to look at that. You never know. I mean, some, sometimes you look at something like that and it just triggers a memory. Yeah, he's a striking-looking man and he's, he does not look like the kind of man you'd want to cross. He's quite a slight man, but he's got a he's got a slightly malevolent glint in his eye. Thanks again for downloading the podcast. It's been an amazing journey so far. Be patient. This might take a year. It might take five years. I might be talking to you every two weeks for the next five years. But we will solve it. Sometimes we move quickly with discoveries and sometimes it will take longer. But every avenue, however unlikely, I need to check. Every lead I get, I need to explore because I can't leave any stone unturned because under that stone might be the key. But the beauty of a regular podcast like this is that you get to follow that process, that journey, exactly as it's happening because I don't know whether the lead we find today is the answer or just another cul-de-sac but that's the reality of investigation particularly when it's being done in front of your eyes or ears more accurately what I have learned though is that the journey will be made up of a thousand tiny steps so thanks for taking those steps with me do me a favour. Please share the podcast with someone you know that doesn't know anything about the podcast. The audience growth has been amazing recently and I obviously want that to continue because the more people who know about this, the more chance we've got. So if you could introduce a new person to it or to the Facebook page, who is Fred the Head, you could even share the link on your own Facebook page. I'd be really grateful. Now, Talking about new leads. About a week ago, late one evening, about 9.30, I got a message through Facebook Messenger from someone I didn't know. By the way, Facebook Messenger is a great way to reach me. If it's about Fred, you're going to get a pretty immediate response. And this message simply said, Hi Ken, I've got some information on Fred the Head if you're interested. Can you ring me and I'll explain. Well, I was very interested, so I did. Now, you may have noticed I record every call I have on Fred the Head, but as I don't have the permission of this person to divulge that conversation or who they are, I won't name them. But it ended up being quite a long call, and I'll give you a kind of synopsis of that call. The person was a lady who had grown up in Winds Hill all her life, and her mother and cousin had also, and so, over quite a few generations, they knew all about Winds Hill and they'd heard pretty much every rumour that was going on Fred the Head. I'll not go into all of those because, frankly, 
They were only rumours, and I'm not entirely sure of the validity of all of them. This person had not listened to the podcast, so I spent some time explaining the story to her, and some of that was new to her. But there were a couple of things that she mentioned that made my ears prick up. Now, they're probably just rumours, but I wanted to share them with you. Firstly, in the edited version of the story I gave her, I finished by mentioning that I was trying to identify a female impersonator cross-dresser from around the end of the 60s. She said, I know that person. And it turns out she did know someone who'd been a cross-dresser in Windshill. Problem was that she remembered him from 30 years ago, even though he'd been much older so he could well have been around in the late 60s. She remembers him from 1990. So therefore, any hopes I had that he might be Fred, well, that was the end of that. She gave me a name for him, but again, I'm not sure it's probably fair to divulge it, and he clearly can't be Fred. But then we started talking about Anthony Hardy, the serial killer who lived in Windshill, who she had heard about. And something she said stopped me in my tracks. She said, I heard he killed someone in Windshill before he went to London. Now, I've never heard that before. And I wonder where that rumour comes from. Was it just an urban myth that came into existence after his crimes in London had come to light? Or was there something more in it? That's something I need to dig into a little bit further. A couple of days went by. And I got another message from her and she mentioned she'd been talking about our conversation with her cousin. And her cousin had been around Windshill longer than her. She was older than her. And her cousin had mentioned another cross-dresser who would have been around at the end of the 60s. The peculiar feature about this cross-dresser was that it was a woman who dressed as a man. This person went by the name of Eddie as a man or Edwina as a woman. So that conversation yielded two intriguing pieces of information. Why was there a rumour that Hardy had killed previously? Was it an urban myth or was there more to it? And who was this female cross-dresser in the late 60s? What could we find out about her? The whole reason why the cross-dresser female impersonator that Zoe originally mentioned intrigues me so much is I think there is a sense of androgyny about the victim, that a sense of being partly male, partly female, which kind of fits in with this cross-dresser female impersonator idea. Now, what do I mean by that in terms of Fred? Well, remember, Fred was wearing a woman's wedding ring he had these slim, female, very well-kept hands. He had short hair. That was unusual in men in 1969. You know, was that to facilitate the wearing of a wig? And remember, right back initially, the initial rumour when Fred was found was that a woman had been found. But DNA, post-mortem examination, seemed pretty clear it was a man. And that got me thinking and this is maybe a little bit controversial but hey needs to be investigated 
We are, these days, a society that is starting to accept that gender is not as straightforward as perhaps we all once thought. It is medically proven that some people are born with ambiguous gender and always have been. These people have always existed. It's estimated that roughly 0.1% of the population, that's one in a thousand, might be affected. It's a well-known variation in sexual characteristics. Of those who are born intersex, as it's called, a 2012 clinical review found that more than 15% experienced gender dysphoria, a mismatch between their gender identity and their sex assigned at birth. What I'm really driving at here is, I think we'd do well to keep a relatively open mind in relation to gender and Fred. I've just got a feeling it's not quite as straightforward as we think. Now that's all very speculative, I appreciate it. But I think it's worthy of consideration. But back to more concrete matters and Zoe. And maybe something very, very important. So I sent Zoe a couple of photographs and the next day there was a reply in my inbox and it read those photographs have set my brain in a whirl that young man's face is so familiar I feel as if I know him now I'll not push the memories but the moment I saw that second photo I was filled with the thought that I know him the first chap also looks familiar but not the way the second one does the photo she's referring to that she knows is the mock-up done by the police of Fred the Head. She's never seen it. She's been in Australia. She's never been in contact with the police. She's never seen any of the local coverage that featured that picture. She goes on. Whether I've actually met the young man, I'm uncertain. It may be the chap to whom Dad gave a lift to when I was with him. Remember, that was the cross-dresser. But on that occasion, all I really saw in detail was the back of his head. My seat in the car was always the rear passenger side, so the young man sat in front of me. But the hair colour looks right. But I suspect he features in some of my father's photographs. I examined them minutely as I was transferring them from boxes and boots folders not so long ago. Several had the same people. After the move in a fortnight, I'll have another opportunity to look through the albums and scan the hundreds of slides that I've not yet seen. I plan to scan the lot. I may even be able to name some of the people. There's no name associated with any photograph I can recall that applies to this fellow, but a few people are named. Dad definitely knew their names. So what Zoe is telling us is that she recognises the e-fit of Fred produced by the police. I'm not aware of anyone ever recognising that picture. So this has the potential to be the most important breakthrough of all. This could be a real game changer. But just how reliable is it? Well, at the moment, all it is, is I think I know that person. I don't know what his name is. And it's from 50 years ago. But it's still amazing. And luckily... We've got her father's photographs for Zoe to look through. We can look forward 
to what comes from that. And hopefully, by the time of the next podcast, Zoe will have had a chance to look at these more closely. And who knows, there might be a picture in that collection that finally solves the question, who was Fred the Head? Until next time, have a good one. The Mysterious Case of Fred the Head is a GSE Media production. Written, produced and narrated by myself, Ken Davis.